One of the most uh, powerful incidents of the prophet Elijah's life is his trip to Zarephath and there meeting a widow who had one son and her story. So let's read it together. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that is, Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as I have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour will not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. He said to her, Give me your son. He took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. He cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I have sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Years ago, before cell phones and email, Ernest Campbell wrote of a clergyman in Boston who unknowingly inflamed the ire and passion of a woman in his congregation. Unfortunately, everyone in the church soon learned of her ire and her discontent with the pastor. Instead of keeping it to herself, she told everybody. She wrote him poison pen letters and got some of her friends to do the same thing. But regardless of her assaults, the man stayed faithful to his call 
And though that church limped along, it did limp along for months. Then one day a miracle happened. He had prayed for a funeral, but the Lord gave him Arizona. (laughs) She moved from Boston to Arizona, and as soon as that lady left Boston and that church, everything began to settle down in the parish. It was terrific. It was as though nothing had ever happened, nothing had gone wrong, until one day a business-size envelope came in the mail with an Arizona return address. He picked it up, took it into his office, closed the door, sat down, and opened it. And from her first words, he could tell that she had changed. She wrote, Dearest Paul, and from there she laid out all of her sins over all of the years, and after each one she enumerated, she wrote the words, Please forgive me. And as soon as he finished reading it, He picked up the phone and he called Western Union and said, I want to send a telegram to Arizona. After giving the address, he said, I wanted to say this. Forgiven, forgotten, forever. Love, Paul. Now, Gandhi once said, only the strong can forgive. But what if you're not strong? Ronald Reagan used to love to tell the story about a man whose wife left him. A friend came to him and said, I'm sorry, your wife left you for the gardener. He said, oh, that's okay. I was going to fire him anyway. (laughs) Mark Twain used to hold a grudge against a family friend, and his wife finally pleaded with him, can't you find it in your heart to forgive him? Mark Twain said, no. And she'd continue to badger him, please forgive him. And Twain said no. And then one day he said, I've decided to rework the will. I'm including him. And she couldn't believe it. She said, really? You put him in the will? He said, yeah, I stopped praying that he go to hell. I just left him a fan. (laughs) Now that's how a lot of people handle their resentment. They bear a grudge and then in time get even. Or they compartmentalize it and say it really doesn't matter anymore. I didn't like her or him anyway. But come with me this morning and meet a woman who can't put her resentment aside. She's never named in Scripture, but her malady is. She is angry with God. She resents what he's done. And there are those even in the church that say to be angry and resentful against God is healthy. Well, when you examine her life, you see that it's the opposite. Her anger, her resentment festers and it imprisons her for a time. Instead of freeing her, it enslaves her. Instead of helping her move on, it it gets her stuck. In fact, this lady is a case study in the faithfulness of God. 
She's a case study in what fear and resentment and anger against God can do. And also it's a study on how God frees men and women from such resentment. So let's dig in. First of all, notice, if you will, the forgetfulness. It's part of the problem. She says to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? Years ago, a mentor of mine said to me, you know, when you get into ministry, you need to remember one thing. Some people will never see you for yourself. You will be for them a composite of every cleric they've ever known and every experience they've ever had with a minister. And I can tell you they're right. There's some people that really don't know me and don't want to know me. All I am to them is a composite of every minister and every experience with a minister they've ever had. And Elijah could understand that. Weeks earlier, he had pronounced to King Ahab that there would be no rain in the whole region of the Middle East for three years. And the king, King Ahab, is ticked off. Now, it's interesting. The king is angry at Elijah, and yet Elijah can't control the weather. All Elijah has said to the king is what God told him to say. There won't be any rain for three years because of your disobedience. And though it's the Lord's doing, Elijah runs. The Bible says the first place he goes is Kareph. And there he is fed by ravens. And then the Lord tells him, I want you to get up and I want you to go northeast to the area on the Mediterranean Sea called Sidon to a town called Zarephath. And there I want you to meet a woman who's a widow. And there I want you to say to her, make me a meal. And so when he arrives in town, he's, the Bible says he gets to the gate and there's this, wi- this widow woman. Her situation is so bleak that when Elijah shows up, she's down to her last bit of oil and flour. When he asks for it, she says, well, frankly, I was planning to gather a few sticks, make a fire, put the oil and flour together, and bake a little cake for my son and for me, and then we'd both die. That's not a comment on her cooking. It's a comment on her poverty. But the Bible says as soon as she feeds Elijah, as soon as she obeys his word, there is enough oil and flour for days, maybe for months, perhaps even for years. We don't know the time frame. The more she pours, the more the supply is replenished. You say, wow, if God had ever done anything like that in my life, I would never, ever fail to love him and remember Oh, really? How about if he took your son? Did you hear about the grandmother who was watching her three-year-old grandson at the beach? Child's playing down by the water's edge. All of a sudden, a huge wave comes in and sweeps him out into the sea. 
Grandmother's frantic. She falls on her knees and she begins to pray, Oh Lord, save my grandson. If you save him, I'll go to church. I'll give away all my money. I'll do anything you ask me to do. And suddenly a second wave hits and throws the little boy up into her arms. Within about 30 seconds, she puts him on the beach and she looks up to heaven and says, Hey, he had a hat too. You know, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I'm convinced that that's the way we handle God's blessings in our lives, most of us. What about the hat? What have you done for me lately, Lord? I mean, think of this woman. For months, maybe for an entire two-and-a-half to three-year period, she has been saved from the famine. Every time she needs to eat, there's flour and oil in her cruises. For three years, he's provided her daily provision. For three years, she has every need met. For three years, she's had the man of God living in her household. And yet, when her son dies, the first thing she does is she turns to the prophet and says, what do you have against me? Ladies and gentlemen, that's the first effect of resentment toward God. It's depreciating all of He's ever done for you. It's forgetting all of His benefits. It's all about forgetting the good and holding on to what you perceive to be the bad. Then second, notice the self-absorption. She said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? Notice her focus. She's not really focused on God. She's not really focused on Elijah. She's not really focused on her son. She's focused on herself. One time, Socrates was asked why Alcibiades was so unhappy. You may remember he was an Athenian general. He was well-traveled. He was well-heeled. He was brilliant. And yet, he was always miserable, and everyone knew it. So someone said to Socrates, why is Alcibiades so miserable? Socrates said, because Alcibiades... Wherever he goes, he takes himself with him. <laughs> That's what we see here. Resentment always drives you and me inward. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You don't really focus on the Lord, you don't really focus on His Word. You don't really focus on anyone but yourself. Then third, notice the worthlessness. You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. In other words, the only reason you ever came here in the first place was to punish me. That's her conclusion. Of all the foundations of human relationship, there is one foundation that is primary 
It is tribal. It is basic. It is common to the human perception, and that is the cause and effect relationship. From the earliest days, you hear it. You slap me, I'll slap you. It's systemic to human relationships. You do me dirt, I'll do you dirt. You do me good, I'll do you good. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's a danger in bringing that cause and relationship, cause and effect relationship into our understanding of God. Remember what the Lord says in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. Remember what David says in Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. Now think of it. Think if he did. Think if he repaid us on a cause and effect basis. You and I wouldn't be here. We'd be out there about a hundred yards. <laughs> God doesn't deal with his people in terms of cause and effect. You know what proves it? The cross. The cross proves that God doesn't deal with us that way. Being mad at your maker is never healthy. It causes you to forget his benefits. It causes you to focus on yourself. And it's to, it causes you to believe that God is out to get you. But there's good news in this text. God never leaves his people resenting him. And nowhere is that clearer than here. For after giving us a profile of her slavery, her problem, God gives us a picture of how he frees us from resentment. First of all, notice... He calls us to engage the mind and remember. Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh, Lord my God, you've brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son. Now remember, it's the Lord that made this connection between Elijah and this foreign widow. He's the one that said to Elijah, go up there and meet this woman. He's the one that said to Elijah, meet her every need. And it's through this meeting that this foreign woman comes to know the God of Elijah. So when Elijah cries out to the Lord, he's not simply making an appeal for a stranger. He's appealing to the one who's chosen them both. And Elijah says, in effect, Lord, you know this woman. You've chosen this stranger to be your servant. You've given her mercy for months. You've dispensed your grace to her. And I know that whenever you start a relationship with someone, you never leave it until it's finished. So what are you doing here, Lord? What's your plan in this circumstance? You know, it's an amazing thing. Elijah lives 850 years before Paul, and yet he understands this principle, that when God begins a good work, 
He'll always see it to the day of completion in the lives of those he loves. Elijah knows that what God starts, he always finishes. When God loves someone, he'll always love them. When God makes a promise, he always makes good on the promise. And when you're resentful toward God, the first thing God calls you to do is to remember his character and remember that he never abandons his own. And everything he does in the life of his people is good. Then second, not only does he call us to engage our mind, he calls us to engage our will. He said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. Now remember, this is the same man to whom she had said, if you hadn't come into my life, this would never have happened. Now remember... At the gate, when they first meet, she said, I'm going to gather a few sticks, make a fire, make a cake. My son and I will eat it and then die. Now, after the loss of her son, she's willing to say to Elijah, in effect, if you hadn't come here, nothing bad would have happened. And Elijah says to her, give me your son. And she does. The same guy she's blaming for killing her son, she's willing to allow to pick up her son's dead body and carry it up to his chamber. During the Civil War, Robert E. Lee sent a message to Stonewall Jackson. If you're ever passing this way by headquarters, I'd like you to stop in. The next morning at 8 o'clock, through a driving snowstorm all night, Stonewall Jackson rides a horse. He gets there. Lee looks at him and said, what are you doing here? It's a terrible storm out there. Jackson said to him, General, you said you wished to see me, and your wish is my command. It's one of the most freeing commands of God in all of the Bible. From 1 Thessalonians, rejoice in the Lord always. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God concerning you. David did it. As soon as he gets word that his seven-day-old son dies, he gets up, washes himself, and goes to the house of the Lord and worships. Job did it. In the loss of his family and the advice, poor advice of friends, he begins to worship God. Jesus did it. He does it in the upper room. He does it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He does it even on the cross. You say, how can you expect me to worship God at a time like this? By engaging your will. And doing what God tells you to do. Do something that's totally counterintuitive. Instead of being resentful toward Him, praise Him in all things. Knowing this, 
that he desires to bless you more than you desire to be blessed. And then third, engage the mind, engage the will, and engage the heart to make an admission. Elijah said, see, your son lives. The woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, that is in your mouth is truth. Do you hear about the little girl whose cat died? She's trying to understand what it meant. So she curls up in her father's lap and says, Daddy, old Tom died. Her father brushes her hair and says, That's okay, honey. Don't be sad. Old Tom has gone to heaven to be with Jesus. Instantly, the little girl looks at him and says, But Daddy, what's Jesus want with a dead cat? (laughs) I mean, that's how it often is for us. That's about as much as we know. In our grief and resentment, we don't understand. We think we know. We think we can interpret the events that have just happened. We think we know the implications of our trouble. But the truth is, we almost never do. I love what Spurgeon said, Anger does a man more hurt than that which makes him angry. It opens the mouth, it shuts the eyes, it fires the heart, it drowns his senses, and it makes his wisdom folly. I mean, let me ask you something. Do you think Lazarus was happy walking out of the tomb. I mean, we know Mary was. We know Martha was. We know that a lot of Jews were. The Bible tells us, John 11 tells us, many Jews believed on Jesus after that. But you know what else he tells us? He tells us from that very day, Caiaphas and his buddies plot to put Jesus to death. You know what the catalyst for the crucifixion was? The resurrection of Lazarus. Look it up. But what about Lazarus? Have you ever considered his plight? He was a believer. He was an heir to all the promises of God. We know that to be absent from the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord. We know that from the thief on the cross. And so when Jesus calls him back, he calls him back from heaven. I mean, do you think Lazarus appreciated that? Think of what Lazarus got the opportunity to do. He got the opportunity to come back and see his Lord crucified. He came back to see Jesus murdered. Not only did he come back to live, he had to die again. Think of it. So I ask you, was it a blessing for him to come back? Or was it a curse? You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that when it comes to knowing the whole story, you and I don't know much. When it comes to knowing the end from the beginning, 
We don't know much at all. All I know is this woman came to the place where she was able to put her resentment aside. All I know is that there's one being in the universe who knows the end from the beginning. All I know is that there's one being in the universe who is good all of the time. All I know is there's one being in the universe that loves you more than your mama. All I know is there's one being in the universe that has your best interest at heart, and his name is Jesus. So I ask you, how can you resent a God like that? Think about that. Amen. Amen.